Happy New Year, listeners! Happy New Year! I hope you had a happy Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, New Year, Winter Solstice, etc., etc. Um, 2020 is in the past. It's done. It's gone. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> it is now 2021 as you're listening to this. As we're recording it, it is not. It is still 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so this week we're going to do something a little bit different because Courtney and I decided that we needed a little break. So at the time we're recording this, it's a couple of days before Christmas. Um, things have been very hectic. As you guys know, I've been moving and Courtney's been working 87 hours a week. So <laughs> we just needed some downtime. <laughs> so Yeah, we wanted to kind of take like you know, the Christmas weekend and a little bit, you know, of the the week following and a little bit of New Year's to just kind of like chill out a little bit, um, not to like push ourselves to get research and editing and recording all that in. We just decided we needed a little break, but we didn't want to leave you guys without anything. Like we want to give you a little something. So we do have a few Patreons who've already heard this. So sorry if you have to hear it again. Um, but Basically, this is one of our first, I think, Patreon bonuses we released. Um, It was kind of a follow-up to our Vigilante Justice Volume 2, my story about Ken McElroy. I talked about how batshit crazy Skidmore was, um, and so we kind of deep-dived on Skidmore. And it is crazy and messed up and a lot of crime, so we decided to give you guys this one. So you can, you know, still have a little bit of crime in your new year and don't have to go one week without hearing anything. Um, and yeah, if you want more, you know, we have like DNA and like different forensic sciences. We have a lot of little Patreon bonuses over there if you guys want more. Yes, there are all kinds of fun things over there. So we hope you guys enjoy this little bonus episode. And if you guys want to hear more of these, you can head on over to patreon.com slash caffeinatedcrimes where you can listen to all the backlog of our bonus episodes. And for our current Patreon supporters, we will have some more bonus episodes for you guys coming out in the new year after we enjoy our break and, you know, just kind of spend some time relaxing and then we're going to be ready to dive back into the new year with all kinds of cases, getting through your all suggestions and all of that good stuff. So we hope you guys have a happy new year and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Yes. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney. And this is Caffeinated Crimes, Patreon edition. Hi, Patreon people, patrons, Patreon fam. We're still working on a name, so let us know what you guys think. What do you guys want to be called? We had an idea that you could be our little coffee beans, but we also don't know if people like that. Like, we don't want to just assign (laughs) you a name, and you might hate it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so let us know if you guys like being our little... Patron beans, patron coffee beans. I don't know. We're not. It took us a while to come up with um, the names of the tiers. So it took us a while to come up with the name of the podcast, first of all. So we're not great at putting together names for something. So give us some ideas and suggestions. We like to call you something. You know, we like to feel like we're some kind of little like community over here that has a name other than just like our Patreon people. Or Patreon fam, as I use a lot, because I'm a cool millennial who's not really that cool. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, names are hard. It's just, I don't know. 
Yeah, it did take us. We had a lot of failed names when it comes yes. to the podcast, guys. A lot of failed names. If you guys would like a bonus episode where we just list you all the names that the podcast might have been, let us know. And there were so many issues, too, because I'd be like, ooh, this is a good one. And then I was like, it's already a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or it's it. like a YouTube channel or it's something yeah. similar. A blog. And it's like so close that it's like, mm, yeah, too close. We, we came in too late to the game. I mean, you know, everybody that got that early start on the on the True Crime podcast, they got all the good names. But I like our name. I think we settled on a name that fits us very well as we're both going to virtually toast Courtney with our cups of coffee here. There we go. Yep. Yeah. It, it fits us for sure. And we have our beautiful logo made by my sister. Yes. Uh, Mama Llama Custom Designs. Go there if you want anything. You can find her on Facebook or Instagram. Yes, I'm getting my Caffeinated Crimes mug from her very soon, and I'm so excited. I have your shirt as well. Oh, even better. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of goodies for you that will be shipped out soon because I'm never going to see you again because people can't stay home. Yep. Yeah, Courtney's like, do you want to, uh, do you want me to mail these, or do you think you're going to be here soon? And I'm like, um, I'd like to say I'll probably be there soon, but that's also what I said in March, and it's now July. So, I don't know. I mean, this year's just a wash at this point. Yeah, so. a lot of uncertainty, so. Yeah, but, um, yeah. since this is a bonus, we're not going to back and forth too long. We're just going to go ahead and hop right into today's episode, um, So, you guys will remember in our second Vigilante Justice episode, we talked about, and by we I mean Courtney, Ken McElroy. Um, And so Courtney mentioned that the violence in this town did not die with Ken McElroy. Um, There have been nine mysterious deaths since then. And remember, this this is a town with at most 400 people. So that's a lot of um, mysterious deaths in such a small town. Yeah, it's a very, very small town. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like... I'm pretty sure I mentioned last time, I think more people than that live on my current street. So, yeah. um, so basically if Ken was the problem, why didn't the violence die with him? Um, and there's just like a history of like a cycle of violence in this town. Um, but the people there are like, no, Skidmore itself isn't that bad. It's just a few people who make it look bad. So today we wanted to tell you, um, a few more of the crazy stories about the murders in this tiny town of Skidmore. Um, so again, we use the documentary No One Saw a Thing, um, as well as a couple of online blogs called Mean and Evil and Talk Murder With Me. So that's where all of our information came from. All right, so as happens in a lot of small towns, methamphetamine was a really big problem in Skidmore in the early 2000s. Um, so it was a pretty easy recipe to make, and so it was just kind of like a widespread issue, again, as is pretty common in small towns that don't have a whole lot else going on. Um, So that kind of leads into this first story that we're going to tell. So on October 16th, 2000, a call was made to 911 about an unresponsive female who was lying in her backyard. Um, Her husband had severely beaten her and they believed that she had been beaten to death at this time. Um, This woman was named Wendy Gillenwater and Wendy was just a small town girl who grew up in the shadow of Ken's death, so was born um, shortly before his death, so she was a child when all of that was going on. And so was her husband, Greg 
Dragoo. Dragoo. Okay. So was her husband, Greg Dragoo, which is a really difficult name to say. There's a lot of grr sounds in there. My bad. It was a lot. Uh-huh. It was a hard name to type because every time I typed it, because it's spelled like D-R-A-G-O-O, so it always like try to correct it, it like to dragon. dragon. And I'm like, no, Dragoo. <laughs> Greg Dragoo. Oh, see, I can't even say that. <laughs> um, so there was some speculation that um, she was involved with, like, partying and drugs as a teenager, um, and she moved in with him when she was 19, and he did start abusing her soon after. I mean, he basically just, like, brutalized her for years. Um, so early in their marriage, he would, like, abuse her regularly, um, and it was pretty well known, so, like, people in this town knew this, but no one did anything about it. No one tried to help her. It's that thing where it's like, just don't talk about it, don't think about it, yep. that's not my business, like... Exactly. Like, I'm just going to ignore that. I'm not going to get involved, which we've talked about before with, like, child abuse cases and stuff. And it's the same way for everyone. If you know something, you should probably try to help people. But obviously this town has Um, a problem with it because look at Ken McElroy. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So on the last day of Wendy's life, he basically just started beating her with his bare hands and just wouldn't stop. Um, So the police and the ambulance come in. They do attempt CPR, but she was pronounced dead at 5.13 p.m., Um, so there was a rumor that it was just basically a meth rage, that he was just so high to the point that, like, he couldn't even physically control himself. Um, again, like, he just physically beat her to death with his hands. Um, he broke eight ribs in one side and six ribs in the other. There were lacerations all over her face and her arms. He, at one point, like, dragged her body out of the house, down the stairs, and threw her in the yard. And he saw a neighbor watching him, but it didn't stop him from continuing. Um, some locals say that he dragged her around Skidmore hanging from his car. I don't think there's anything to, like, substantiate that, but, again, in this town, I mean... Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, who knows what happens that doesn't get officially reported, so... And, I mean, this is something that maybe could have happened before this time, too, you know, that was just another incident, but, um, some people do report that that happened. Um, and nobody stopped and helped her on this last day of her life when she was just lying there bleeding in her front yard, um, and as, give a little trigger warning here for just yeah general abuse, um, but as she was gasping for her last breath, he did take a bottle of Dawn dish soap and poured it down her throat. Um, so obviously it's just this horrific scene when the police arrive um, and when they question him, Greg said that he just got irate with Wendy and he lost control. That's not, okay. Yeah, that's not an excuse. Uh... <laughs> no. Um, The preliminary autopsy report showed that she died from severe trauma to her chest and her stomach, and Wendy's mom was only able to identify her by the rings on her hand um, because she was so severely beaten, like, she couldn't even recognize her own daughter. Um, And Greg's grandmother says that seeing her in the hospital like that gave her nightmares afterward. So, Greg Dragoo did get life in prison for this murder. Um, And so, again, we mentioned this one. One is a horrific murder that happened in this small town, but also kind of tying in with the theme of Skidmore that, like, everyone knows everyone's business and everyone knows what's going on, but no one in this town is willing to stick out their neck and acknowledge that. So, just so horrific. Um, So, soon after Wendy's death, her 20-year-old cousin, Branson Perry, disappeared. So, this was on April 11th, 2001. He had been cleaning out the house, and he said that he was going to put some jumper cables away outside and has never been seen again. Um, So the town had signs up all over, like, asking for information, but there were just no signs of him. 
Um, so the day that he disappeared, his father was in the hospital, and he was expected to come home soon. So he was clean. So he lived with his dad, um, and so he was cleaning the house, getting ready for his dad to come home from the hospital, and he was also working on getting his car running so that he could go pick him up in it. Um, so Branson's friend Gina was in the house helping him out, and she says that he went into the kitchen cabinets and starts looking around, and he came out with something, and then he went outside and came right back in. And Gina's like, what are you doing? And he was like, nothing, don't worry about it. And then he went to the shed to return the jumper cables, and that was the last time he was ever seen. Um, so Branson was born in 1981, which was the same year that Ken McElroy was murdered. Um, he was a shy boy, blonde hair, blue eyes. He had this like baby face that just made him look younger than he was. Um, his parents divorced at a young age, and he moved in with his dad. He really loved, like, snakes and reptiles. He was really into his artifact collection. He wanted to join the military after graduating high school, but he was unable to do so because of a medical condition called tachycardia, which is just, like, an irregularly fast heartbeat. Um, so he was working odd jobs around town, and trigger warning here for sexual abuse. Um, on April 7th, which was a few days before he went missing, he visited a neighbor named Jason Byerman. And after he got home, Branson told his dad that Jason had drugged him, shaved his pubic hair, and raped him. Um, this rape was never reported to the police, but if you think about it, it's 2001, um, small town Missouri, a man raped by another man. It's not unlikely that it would not get reported. Um, yeah, even today, I don't know if it would be reported. Yeah. So the day after he disappeared, his grandma, Joanne Stennett, went to check on him uh, because he hadn't visited his father at the hospital like he had been doing every day. So she's like, that's kind of weird. Like, let me go see what's going on, which I'm wondering at this time, like, what's Gina doing? Like, you're helping your friend clean his house and he goes outside to put some jumper cables away and then just like disappears. Like, do you not c contact anyone? Yeah, it was very like, because in the documentary, it was like, oh, she was here and then like he left. But then like, they kind of made it seem like she had left, like, at the same time or right before, but they never really talk about it. They're just kind of like, she was here, and then now she's gone. So I don't know if, like, maybe she left, like, while he was going to put the jumper cables or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe it's, you know, one of those things that, like, as you do with casual friendships, it's like, oh, I'm just helping, oh, like, I gotta go, and then I just took off. Yeah. And 2001, like, probably don't have a cell phone to, like, you know. Yeah. Maybe she left him a note and was like, hey, I, I don't know. I just was curious about that. Um, so when his grandma Joanne gets to his house, the radio is blasting, the furnace is on, but Branson's not there. Um, there's no blood, no weapons, like all of his stuff is there. It appears that he didn't take anything with him. Um, so that three days go by um, and she's like, okay, now I'm getting like super concerned. Um, but he wasn't officially reported as missing until April 17th, which was the day that his father was discharged from the hospital. Um, and the police, like, didn't jump on this right away, even though now it's been over a week since he actually was seen. But I guess they still, like, thought maybe he just ran away. Um, they didn't suspect foul play at the time. And the police were like, oh, like, you know, he's, he's just out there. He's going to come back. But his mom, Becky, was like, no, like, he, he wouldn't just do this. And... Also, keep in mind, like, he's getting the house and the car ready for his dad to come home from the hospital. Why would he run away at this point? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. They were like, oh, no, he just left. He'll be back. And it's like, yeah. are you sure about that? <laughs> like, yeah. So that's the first thing that um, the sheriff's department thinks. And so 
They started investigating, and they found his van, his wallet, and all of his personal possessions in the home. So, again, if you disappeared, you would probably take your stuff with you. Um, Now, this is super interesting. So, at the time that he disappeared, the jumper cables that he was going outside to put in the shed were not in the shed. So, they were not found when he disappeared. But they did suddenly show up two weeks later. All of a sudden, the jumper cables are back in the shed. Um, So, it's like someone, like realized it and was trying to cover their tracks now but at this point it's too late because they already know that the jumper cables weren't in there to begin with so that's kind of suspicious i'm like oh yeah i wonder if like the story got out like yeah he was taking some jumper cables back and the person was like oh crap okay go put the jumper cables (laughs) in there right oh shit go put those back so they tried everything that they could to try to figure out what had happened to him one resident said that he saw a man do it and feed him to the hogs which who knows in this crazy town, but there's nothing to really like back that up. Um, but they even like dug up places to see if they could find him. They're wondering, is this drug related? Is this sex related? Like they just have no idea. Like he just vanished into the thin air. Nobody saw or heard anything supposedly, which is a very common theme in Skidmore. <laughs> um, his father did speculate that he may have tried to hitch a ride to Kansas city because he was like super upset about the rape that had happened the week before. But again, I mean, you would probably take, like, your ID and some money and something with you. Some clothes, maybe. I, mean, I don't like, know. Like, tell your dad, because he was supposed to come home from the hospital, like, within the next, like, few days. So you would think, like, yeah. hey, dad, I gotta go. Someone else pick you up. Like, <laughs> Especially since he did confide in his father about the rape. Like, you think that they would have the relationship where, if that's what it was, that he would say something and, like, hey, I'm sorry, I just need to get out of here for a little bit. Yeah. Um, So there's a lot of, you know, rumors going around about what could have happened, but nobody really knows anything. Um, But they do start to suspect foul play because it's been so long now, um, and he is listed as an endangered missing person. Um, So after he disappeared, they hired investigators, they brought a medium in, they offered rewards. Basically, they're just like, we will do anything to find him. Um, But a year went by with no arrests and no leads. And so they're, like, really asking the community, like, please come forward with any information that you have. So finally, two years after he went missing, they did have a break in the case. Um, They arrested a man named Jack Wayne Rogers um, because they found information on his computer claiming that he had driven to Skidmore and abducted a blonde-haired boy. Um, So he was a minister, and he had been chatting with someone online and was talking in chat rooms about how he had abducted this boy from Skidmore. And I just want to say, like, I've heard this a few times, but the the fact that, like, people go on chat rooms and talk about, like, doing terrible things to children and, like, murdering right? people and how that, like, turns them on just, like, disgusts me to no end. Like, I don't know, whenever I see yeah. stuff like that, I'm like, oh, there are people like this in the world and it makes me want to die. Like, this is horrible. <laughs> And I'm also like, if you were so comfortably chatting about this online, you're probably chatting with a like-minded group of people, and there happens to be, like, one person that sees it that's like, oh, no, this isn't right. Because, I mean, why else, like, if you thought that, hey, anyone I tell this to is going to report me, why would you do it unless you felt safe doing so because you're in a group of people that also think the same way? Yeah, they had, like, a transcript in the documentary, and I think it was one of those, like, the guy he was messaging was like, ooh, tell me more, because this is, like, my jam, like, kind of thing. So, yeah, super gross. Yeah. So, during the investigation, they searched 
Jack Wayne's home and they dug up his yard. Um, so he was living in Fulton, Missouri. And in his backyard, they did find a leather necklace with a turtle's claw on it that Branson's father positively identified as his necklace. Um, and on his computer, big trigger warning for sexual abuse oh, yeah. and... The biggest trigger warning. <laughs> yeah. Um, on his computer, they did find child pornography and also images of botched gender reassignment surgeries that he performed in hotel rooms. Um, I did look up, like, is gender reassignment still, like, the most accepted term? Um, and I guess gender um, affirmation surgery is, like, the current accepted term. Okay. But also, this is being done in a hotel room, so I don't know. Yeah. So, for the purposes of this story, we're still going to go with gender reassignment, but I just wanted to point that out that we acknowledge that the accepted medical term is gender affirmation, but this is in a hotel room, and we don't know the level of consent of those that he did this to, so to me, it seems kind of odd to call it gender affirmation. Yeah, because it but almost, I don't know. because I mean, this is a minister, not a doctor. Yeah. So, yes. he has no, no right doing this. Yes. And so they also found images of Rogers posing with severed male genitals, wearing them on his head, placing them in his mouth and chewing them, and placing them on a coffee cup or a plate, and also attaching severed penises together. Yeah, it's, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he had previously sexually assaulted a young boy while on a youth trip for a church that he worked at in Fulton, Missouri. Um, so he was a registered sex offender, but was still somehow a Boy Scouts leader. So. I thought Boy Scouts were supposed to, uh, teach you, uh, good things. Yeah, <laughs> don't really well, I mean, think, uh, don't you know, really. you can't be gay in the Boy Scouts, at least until a couple years ago, but you can be a sex offender and that's totally fine. Yeah, so. you can, uh. Okay. You can have child porn on your computer and be a Boy Scout leader, but don't even think about yeah. being gay. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Um, so his chat room obviously was just, like, disgusting. Um, he talked about impaling people, how he liked to make them suffer. Um, it was rumored that Branson was tied to a tree naked and impaled by a stake through his genitals, had his genitals cut off, and eaten in front of him while he was alive. So this isn't substantiated. This is just a small-town rumor of what... They heard happened after they found out that this guy they think was responsible for it. Yeah, you saw that in a lot in the documentary where people are like, well, I heard this, well, I heard this, well, I heard this, and it's like, who is coming up with these stories? <laughs> My goodness, right? they're all so but different. I mean, <laughs> I mean, also think about rumors that you heard about yourself in high school where you're like, what the hell, that didn't happen, how do we come to this conclusion? <laughs> I know, so. I didn't do that, I don't know. <laughs> So Rogers claimed that he was innocent and he said that basically this chat room was just fiction and it wasn't like something that he actually did. He's like, no, I just wrote this fiction based on a story I read in the local media. Yeah. And he was like, I did all the other stuff. I did all the penis yeah. stuff in the hotel rooms, but I didn't do this one. <laughs> so, But I didn't kill this guy. Yeah. Um, so Branson's case is still leading in just many different directions. Um, but they did find out that the necklace they believed to be Branson's was not his. Um, Branson did have one that was like it, but this one wasn't his. Um, but Becky, his mom, was at every trial because she just really believed that he had something to do with this. Um, so Rogers was charged for the child pornography and the gender reassignment surgeries and ended up getting 30 years in prison. 
Um, Becky begged him to tell her where her son was or where his remains were, but he just kept insisting that he wasn't involved and he didn't have anything to do with it. So the police are pretty sure that Rogers was not involved in this. Um, and Becky is just like devastated, but she trusts the police and she's like, okay, like maybe he didn't have anything to do with this. Um, Branson's parents were never really the same, obviously. Um, you know, they struggled a lot and they just had to like hold out hope um, that he's alive out there somewhere. Um, some people say that they last heard that Branson was seen in a white van. Um, that day, the day that he disappeared, north of Skidmore on the side of the road. Um, and many people believe that someone knew who Branson was associating with. Um, like, it is a small town. They're like, someone has to know something more that happened. Um, Branson's stepdad says that he thinks that Rogers was a scapegoat to, like, push it off and relieve some of the pressure of the investigation and that they actually knew what had happened, but no one was going to come forward. Um, so the new sheriff did reopen the case fully and thinks that it was a homicide and that they know who was responsible. They did find that Branson was involved in the drug crowd um, and they were making meth. Um, they believe that maybe he was shot to be kept quiet. They think that they like killed him and hid his body. Um, maybe like a drug deal gone bad. Um, as we mentioned before, in a small town where there's not a whole lot to do, drugs are pretty rampant. And they talk about how, you know, with this younger generation, like they all saw Ken McElroy get murdered by what could have been the whole town and get away with it. So they're like, oh, this is just how you solve problems here. Like, oh, Branson, you know, screwed us over with money or drugs or whatever. So we'll just murder him and we'll get away with it and it'll be fine. So eight years after he disappeared, um, police did hone in on a farm that they thought might have clues as to what had happened. Um, because his case did lead to some drug investigation, um, they did find like some like active drug houses in rural Missouri that were blowing up because of meth labs. Um, they developed drug enforcement agencies to try to find these young kids and like film them and bust these labs. And several people were taken in for polygraphs and asked what they know. Um, so they started putting together basically that Branson was involved in making meth, that part of his job was to supply the ingredients to make them. Um, so Branson had previously gotten in trouble with an officer. Um, so some people think that the kingpin of this organization was like, oh, like he's going to talk now. Like he's going to tell everybody everything that he knows. Um, so there were nine people involved in this case. Um, and the sheriff knew who they were and believes that he knows who actually pulled the trigger. Um, so July 8th, 2009, a tip came in saying that Branson would be buried in Quintmet. Um, and they felt that the information was credible and they acted on it. Um, two people involved showed on a map where they thought they had buried Branson. They interrogated them separately and they both showed them the same place. So a canine unit joined the search and covered like a two mile area and they kept hitting one spot over and over. So nine out of 10 dogs hit the same spot. And they said too, like in the documentary, they were like, we took the dogs like completely off the property, like in different directions, like a mile and the dogs uh -huh. came back to the same spot. Like, they tried to make sure it was, like, not a coincidence, <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah. They did find some items that validated the information that was given. Um, so the earth, like, underneath the spot was different. Um, so they believed that maybe he had been buried there and then later moved. Um, so they're like, okay, we're getting closer. Um, and they're thinking that when those involved saw that they were getting closer, they dug the body up, moved it somewhere else to get the heat off of themselves. Um, and then ultimately the investigation led to a house where they believe Branson was shot. 
Um, but the house was burned before they got a chance to see if there were was any evidence in the home. What a coincidence. I know. Crazy. So it's like, okay, again, just so everyone knows what happened in this town about Branson's murder and no one's going to say anything because there's this huge drug scene and they fear this retaliation so they're just not going to get involved at all. Yeah, so then like about 10 years after Branson's been missing, um, the sheriff, so Randy Strong was a detective for most years and he became sheriff in 2017 um, and I believe he's still sheriff today. Um, so he's still like working, actively pursuing this case. Um, there's still no body. And there's some rumors that he'd been like cut up and dispersed in a body of water, but they still have no physical evidence of any murder. So they're like, well, it's kind of hard to charge someone if you don't have a body. Like we don't know yeah. for sure he's dead. Um, and like we saw in Eileen's case with Corky, like he just disappeared and ran away. <laughs> like yep. he showed up later. <laughs> um, and so they're still hoping he'll be found um, even if he is passed away and it's just his remains. They're hoping they'll find him. And the former sheriff, Epsi, says everything is there and there is enough for a trial. But the prosecuting attorney, David Baird, never pursued the case. And it doesn't really sound like people like David that much. <laughs> it sounds like... He has a lot of evidence for a lot of cases and just mm -hmm. doesn't prosecute it. So oh, he's probably in on it, too. He grew up in Skidmore. He knows everyone. Yep. But they did. The sheriff did not speak too highly of him. He was like, he's basically playing God. Like, he has everything and is just choosing not to. Like, he's getting to decide who gets prosecuted, who doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but so, yeah, Sheriff Epsi is like, everything is there, but it's just not going to trial. But there's enough to, like, charge people. Wow. So Bob Perry, who is Branson's dad, did eventually move out of town and did eventually pass away. And then Becky just kept trying to find answers. She kept hoping that he'll be found alive somehow. Um, she was eventually diagnosed with cancer and she was dying. So Sheriff Epsi went to her and told her everything they knew. He was like, this mm -hmm. is everything in the case file. And I believe like 99.9% .9 this is what happened and this is who did it. Um He's just trying to give her some closure before she dies. So when Becky died, her obituary did say she was preceded in death by her son Branson. So I think she had accepted the fact that he probably had been killed. Mm -hmm. So now we have like Wendy and Branson kind of weird stuff going on here. Um, and so they had some other like suspicious suicides. They didn't go too much into it. They said a young boy was found like hung from a tree, which I think mm -hmm. was ruled as a suicide, but... Who knows what really happened there. Um, another boy was swimming underneath a bridge and drowned. And so just all these like tragic things just keep happening in this town of not even 400 people. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like that happens. I mean, that happens, but in a town so small, that's just unheard of. So Wendy and Branson are cousins. I mean, this is happening yeah. to the same family. Like, and everyone in this town is probably related somehow. But Yeah. So it's getting a little bit of a bad legacy, this town. Um, and then possibly one of the, I don't know if I could call it, it's horrible. I'm just going to say it's like one of, one of the worst. It's one of the most well-known besides Ken, I would say, probably. Yeah. Um, so, and it's Bobby Jo Stinnett. And so she was born in 1981, which is the same year that Ken McElroy was murdered. 
and her house was across the street from Branson Perry's house. So, again, and she does have the same last name as Wendy and Branson's grandmother. So, mm-hmm. I don't know if her husband was related to them. I don't know. Possibly. Probably. I mean, like I said, it's a super small town, so probably. And we know that after Ken's death, a lot of people left. So, it would stand to reason that a lot of people that stayed are all related. Yeah. Or mostly related. So, you know. Yeah, because I said that a lot, too, and they were like, yeah, people, like, the young people are, like, leaving as soon as they can. Like, they turn 18, they're out, and then, like, the older people who've been there are dying, and then there's just kind of, like, this middle ground few that are, like, because, mm-hmm. yeah, one guy was a younger guy, and he was like, if my dad did not have a farm here, I would never come back to this place, like, ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, on December 16th, 2004, Bobby Joe's mother, whose name is also Becky, but different Becky, She's Becky Harper. So um, she called 911 and was like, I need someone right here. I think my daughter's stomach exploded. And so Sheriff Epsi, you know, gets there. He walks in the house and he goes to the room where Bobby Joe's laying. And she's laying flat on her back, face up. And Becky is like, please just like, can you help me? I don't know how to do CPR. I don't think I'm doing it right. Will you help me? And so he starts performing CPR and he does that until the ambulance gets there. Um... And there's just, like, blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Like, so much blood. And this is kind of an aside, but I thought it was very interesting that one of the townspeople was, like, talking about it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I heard about it because my chiropractor told me, and he's the coroner. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Again, yeah. we talked, I don't remember which episode. We've done too many episodes at this point for me to remember and which one. running together now. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about coroner can be an elected position. I guess if you're a chiropractor, do you have to be a doctor to be a chiropractor? Or just uh, get, like, <laughs> I, I just know. sat here assuming you had to be a doctor, but now I don't know. Hold on. Let me, let me go to the Google machine. So... We looked it up because I was sitting here being like, chiropractors are doctors. And then I questioned myself. So we looked it up. And so they are a form of doctor. We think it's kind of like a dentist, you know, like you don't really go to like the med school where you can go to like different things. It's like a very specialty school. Yes. So, I mean, maybe he's better than just the local sheriff who has a <laughs> high school diploma, but still, anyway. He at least has some kind of medical background, but... Yeah, he, he knows where the spine is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so once they were taking Bobby Joe out of the house, um, the sheriff did notice that her stomach was cut from side to side, and he's asking Becky, he's like, is she pregnant? And Becky's like, yeah, actually she's within like a month of delivering. And so this is when they kind of start to realize like, oh no, something very horrible has happened here. It appears, you know, this baby's been cut out and now the baby's missing and they don't know really what to do. Yeah. So they're kind of starting to do their like preliminary research. Uh, Bobby Joe was married to Zeb Stinnett and they were raising rat terriers together. Like they were kind of breeding them for sale, I believe it was. And people were like, I don't really know if they had any marital problems, I mean, all couples fight. If you say you don't, you're lying. All couples <laughs> fight. <laughs> so, but they don't know of any, like, anything super bad. You know, they're about to have a baby, so they're probably mm-hmm. in a relatively good spot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Becky knew something was wrong because Becky worked down at like a local gas station or a convenience store and Bobby Joe would come pick her up every day from work. And Bobby Joe never showed up, never called. And so Becky's like, I know something's wrong. Like she wouldn't just like not show up. So immediately the Skidmore detect, the sheriff is like, all right, I'm calling in the FBI. I'm calling in other police departments. This is very, very big. We're going to have to get everyone in on this. So they blocked off like the whole road where her house was and they're just trying to get every piece of evidence in this house they can. And they're like, we have to find out who did this. We have to find this baby. So they took blood samples from everywhere and there was even like a trail of blood from like down the hallway from where like Bobby Joe had been dragged. So they basically cut the floor around where she was found and took it out and they're like, we just want everything as it was. We want to study this and figure out so they did notice um, that she did have ligature marks around her throat, um, which looks like she'd been strangled at least two times, maybe three. Mm-hmm. And it was very distinct rope marks. And detective, the detective there noticed she was barefoot and noticed that the top of her feet, there was no blood, but did notice it was like all along the bottom and like through her toes. So the detective really believed that after she was cut that she stood up and was trying to just fight for her life and fight for her baby's Mm -hmm. life and just like fight until she could not anymore. So of course this is a huge thing. So it's capturing the the attention of media everywhere because I mean, this is horrific. (laughs) Like, so yeah, when I was um, talking to my dad that we were doing the research for this episode, he's like, Oh my God. Like, I remember that. Like, I remember when that happened and like the whole, like, investigation and everything like being on the news like live like he remembered that yeah so and sheriff epsi was even saying that it felt really personal to him he'd had a grandson born six days prior to this incident so i feel like he had that like connection of like oh my goodness like this could be my child this could be yeah my grandchild you know i really really need to find this baby and law enforcement was also under a lot of pressure to solve this as fast as they could i mean obviously yes (laughs) So they're like, please come forward. If you think it's not important, like, I don't care. Just come forward anyway. Like, if you think we've heard it, assume we haven't. Just anything you have, come forward. So there was a citizen in the town. And she was like, well, I did see something a little suspicious. I guess I'll call. So she said on the day that Bobby Joe was killed, she saw a red car. And it was like a woman was kind of in the back seat, she thought. Or something like a lot of, like, shuffling around in the car. It was very odd. And again, this is a small town. They probably know every car that is not a citizen's car. (laughs) They're like, I've never seen that car before. I know that's an outsider. I don't know you. Um, So she called and she was like, here's the information just in case. So they really believed this red car probably had something to do with how the baby was taken away. And the opposite of like what happened in Ken's case really happened here. Like immediately they called in people immediately townspeople were speaking. Like this is the exact opposite of the Ken case basically, which, you know, they're like, Oh God, this is a baby. Like maybe that made it different in their mind. And it appears from what they've seen so far that it's probably an outsider. So they're like, yeah, we'll turn those people in all day, every day. True. True. Just not our own people. (laughs) Yeah. So then they were like, okay, well, how do we know if we find a baby that this is the baby? Because the baby was not full term. So they knew that, you know, it was like 
eight months pregnant, so not exactly full term, but they're like, no one has seen this baby. You know, the baby had not been born. Yeah. Like, we don't know what this baby looks like at all, except that it was likely a white female because both parents were white, you know. Mm-hmm. So Sheriff Epsi is like, I want an Amber Alert for this baby. But the state refused because he could not provide eye color, hair color, skin complexion, size, or weight because no one knew what this baby looked like. So they're like, no, we're not going to do an Amber Alert. He was angry, which he should be, (laughs) because this is, like, a big deal here. So, Epsi was not going to take that answer. So, he starts making calls. He's starting to get, like, lobby congressmen. And he's like, I need this Amber Alert. Like, we need this Amber Alert. So, within two hours, Highway Patrol, he literally said they called him and was like, okay, fine. You got what you want. Here's your Amber Alert. And he was like, I did not like that attitude, but that's not important. I got my Amber Alert. Yeah, it's like, you know, I'm trying to find, you know, there's like a premature baby. All this, like, someone has to know, like, someone has to see someone just pop up with a newborn baby they probably shouldn't have. Um, And that the baby might have some health issues because... It was cut out of her mother's stomach, so... Yeah. Because, I mean, they don't even... Like, they're hoping that the baby is alive, but they don't know yeah, at this point. Yeah, that's what they like, were saying, too. Did the baby survive delivery? Like, was the baby cut during delivery, or was the baby even full-term enough to survive without medical intervention, which, I mean, I would assume this person would not be seeking medical intervention. If they did, it'd be pretty easy to yeah. find the baby. You know, so, like, we have to do this investigation. And that's thing too, is, like, I don't want to get, like, gruesome, but, like... How would you know, like, how to even cut to where you wouldn't cut the bit? You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's horrific. I don't like to think about it, but I'm also like, yeah, there's good thought that this baby could be injured because this person's just, you know, anyway. So they're getting, like, all these tips, all these calls, um, just people noticing odd things and just calling just in case, which definitely do. If you think something's weird, just call it in if people are asking yes. for tips. Um, and... So then they kind of got onto Bobby Joe's computer, and that's where they really found, like, a vital clue. So a fellow dog breeder from North Carolina had called and was like, hey, she has this website. It's where she sells her dogs. Like, just look at it. See if there's anything there. So, yeah, the website uh, she ran sold the rat terrier dogs that her and her husband bred together and there was a chat group of different rat terrier breeders so at the time they're like "Eh, i don't really think anything about it but her pictures on the website you can see she's pregnant she documented her pregnancy Mm -hmm. on the website she talked about how excited she was it's her first child and her address was also on the website as well so they're like okay Mm -hmm. well Anyone looking at this website from anywhere in the country can see this, see she's pregnant, see where she lives. We're thinking there's a connection here. I mean, especially since they're pretty sure it's an outsider, and these are the very, very early days of the internet, so it's not like, oh, well, somebody saw you're pregnant on Facebook. Like, you have to have your information in a very specific place on the internet for someone outside to know that you're pregnant and know how to find you. So it's pretty good lead at this point. Or like Google. Well, not like Google, but you know how you used to have to type very specifically into the search bar, like what website you wanted? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is I think it's around that time, like kind of before you could just Google anything (laughs) and find anything anywhere. So they did see the day before the murder, a woman introduced herself as Darlene Fisher from from Fairfax, Missouri, and she had wanted to buy a dog from Bobby Joe. So Bobby Joe was making arrangements to meet with uh, meet with her, and it was supposed to happen the day that Bobby Joe was murdered. 
And so Becky, her mother, had said she was on the phone with Bobby Joe that day, and there was a knock on the door around 2.30, and Bobby Joe said she had to go because the woman who wanted to buy a dog had arrived. So they're like, okay, we got to find this woman. Like, maybe she did it, or mm-hmm. maybe she was just the last person to see Bobby Joe alive. You know, she could have given us some insight. You know, what time did she leave? All this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were also saying, you know, if this person did show up, if she was innocent, like, why isn't she calling in a tip that, hey, I saw Bobby Joe that day, you know, I yeah. left at this time, she was fine, etc., etc. So they just, like, flooded Fairfax with cops because they're just trying to find Darlene. But then they find out that, surprise, surprise, Darlene is not her real name, and she is not from Fairfax, Missouri. <laughs> Um, they did track her real name to Melbourne, Kansas. And so they sent detectives there being like, all right, find out who, quote, Darlene Fisher is. And at the same time they're doing this, a woman from Melbourne called and was like, hey, there's a woman walking around with a newborn baby just out of nowhere. Her name is Lisa Montgomery. And they say that they know that this is kind of weird because Lisa Montgomery had had her tubes tied. So she was not capable of getting pregnant. So it's a little weird. She just shows up with a newborn baby. And then also this woman was mm-hmm. murdered and is missing a baby. Kind of, kind of went kind of weird. So yeah, everything's kind of closing in and they're like, okay, we got to locate this baby as fast as we can. Just drive as fast as you can there. So Lisa Montgomery desperately wanted another child. She already had four children. She wanted another one. A little bit of Diane Down syndrome over here. Right. So she pretended to be pregnant. She found Bobby Joe. She drove from Melbourne to Skidmore, which I looked up, and they're about 177 miles apart. So it's like a three-hour drive. So this Mm -hmm. is very intentional. This is very thought out. You had plenty of time to change your mind. Um. She showed up to her house. She knocked on the door. Bobby Joe let her in so she could see the puppies. And that is when Lisa wrapped a cord around her neck and strangled her, got a knife from the kitchen, cut across her stomach, and took the baby. So she wrapped it up and took it off in her red car and left. And so back at home, Lisa called her husband and said she'd given birth while shopping in Topeka, Kansas, and that he and he and two of his children left to go pick her up. And they introduced her her to friends as their new baby Abigail which also they mentioned it's in my notes later but I'm just gonna jump ahead that they're like wondering how her husband wasn't suspicious because like I mean yeah she's pretending to be pregnant but can't you mm-hmm. kind of notice but also he picked her up in a long john silvers not a hospital <laughs> so she's just like oh it's fine. I'll just walk down here just meet me here the hospitals the crowded you don't want to come in here come you in know here. no I'm just just meet me at the long john silvers Um, And, like, how quickly would this delivery take place for you to be like, oh, I was out shopping, and I went into labor, got to the hospital, birthed this baby, and then I'm going to call you and tell you all this happened. Like, I know cell phones are pretty new, but I'm pretty sure, like, whoever you called to get you to the hospital could have called your husband. Or the hospital, when you're, like, they're about to give birth, could call your husband and be like, oh, hey, just so you know, if you want to try to get here, because I'm sure you're not super far, I don't know how far those towns are but close enough that like hey maybe you could try to get here in time what but you're just like oh by the way have the baby we're ready to be picked up no that's not and they interviewed like a few other people and I think it was like 
the pastor at her church was like, yeah, I commented that she was really skinny to be pregnant. And she said that <laughs> she just carries, she's just lucky and that she just carries small. Her All her babies were like that. And I'm like, okay, where well, there was no baby, Lisa, quit lying. <laughs> but, but again, people are just like, I am walking away, which if someone said that to me, I'd probably just be like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So. I mean, you would never, like if someone says that they're pregnant, you would never be like, oh, bet you're faking it. Like that's just not no, your you're first not. thought. <laughs> right? Show me. Show me proof. Let me look up there. <laughs> okay. So on December 17, 2004, they've identified Lisa and they're like, okay, we're hoping, hoping, hoping this baby survived and we're hoping we can get this baby. Um, and so Lisa mm-hmm. did have an obsession. So adopting wasn't good enough for her. Helping out in the foster care system. Nah, she don't want to do that. She wanted a baby to look at her and her face be the first one the baby saw. So like no other mother figure could ever exist. Um, and Lisa didn't care that she killed Bobby Joe at all because she just got her baby and that's all she wanted. So... Detectives show up at the house, and of course, they're probably a little nervous because they're like, we don't know, not know what we're about to walk into. Right. But they looked around, and they saw rat terrier dogs all around, and he said he was like, I have the right house. We have the house. All right, we're going to do this. So they knock on the door, and and they see on the TV, the news was on the story about the abducted baby. Like, they're just like, okay, here we go. And they see Lisa is on the couch with a newborn baby, and... So they questioned Lisa, and, you know, she said she'd given birth in Topeka. Um, And police said they checked with that hospital, and there was no record of her ever giving birth there. Um, And so then she broke down, and she admitted to strangling Bobby Joe and cutting the infant out of her womb. And her husband was horrified, which he should be, and said he had no idea she was pregnant. She wasn't pregnant. Mm -hmm. So he just believed it, I guess. Um, so Detective Strong takes the baby and walks outside and Sheriff Epsi was at a different location with a bunch of like the investigators and the FBI. And so they were all quiet and just crying because they're like, we mm-hmm. found this baby, we found it. And they'd asked like if Bobby Joe had a name picked out and they did. And her name was going to be little Victoria Joe. So that just like broke me when I read it. It was like, Ugh. I know. And like, she just never got to see her baby and she was so excited. Like. Yeah. Lisa Montgomery sucks. Anyway, so Lisa Montgomery did have federal charges of kidnapping resulting in death. Um, and they had met before. Like, there was a picture of them together, and they'd gone to the same dog shows, all that. And again, they're wondering, like, Lisa's husband, Kevin, like, you just went along with the story? Like, you picked her up at a long John Silver's? Like, I mean, I'm hoping if I just showed up with a baby that my Kevin would be like, <laughs> Where's this from? Like, Why are you at a Burger King? What's happening? Like, I mean, I don't know. My husband knows how badly I want a baby, so if I just called him and I'm like, I got a baby, he'd probably be like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> Kevin would be like, take it back, please. Don't <laughs> put it back in. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so it's just very odd. Just everyone believed her, um, told everyone she was pregnant, and during the trial, Her ex-husband would say she faked being pregnant five times before this and was currently in a custody battle with him over their four children. Mm -hmm. And her current husband said she had faked being pregnant twice during their marriage and both times she said she'd had an abortion because something was wrong with the fetus. So, I don't know why you wouldn't just be like, 
not pregnant anymore, false alarm, or yeah, <laughs> what? That's such like a weird story. I don't know. Yeah. So the defense claims she suffered from pseudocytosis. Pseudocytosis. Pseudo. So the defense claims she suffered from cytosuit. <laughs> Cytosis. Say it again. <laughs> Pseudocytosis. Pseudocytosis. Okay. We're going to leave that whole part <laughs> in, so just go with it. Guys, this is my dragoo. So, okay. She suffered from that, which is where a woman's body mimics all of the symptoms of being pregnant, but isn't actually pregnant, which, weird. So, which... Side note, the first time I learned about this was an episode of Law & Order SVU, so... <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know that was a thing where it was, like, your body actually mimics being pregnant. Yeah, it's, like, a legit... I don't know if they classify it as, like, a mental disorder or a medical condition, because obviously it's mental, but, like, like your period stop. Like, you get, like, a bloated belly. Like, you have all of these, like, physical symptoms of being pregnant, but you're actually not. And most of the time... It's, like, women who have had a lot of miscarriages and, like, desperately want to be pregnant or women who've had their tubes tied, older women, like, people who can't get pregnant Mm -hmm. but they want to so badly that, like, they develop this condition where their body, like, literally acts as if they're pregnant. It's insane. That's creepy. Not not insane as in, like, you're insane. It's, like, an insane phenomenon. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. So, Lisa was sentenced to death, and she's the third woman scheduled for execution in the federal system. Um... And this case did end up being solved, which isn't common in Skidmore, but it's another yeah. tragedy to the town's legacy. On December 21st, 2004, Bobby Joe had her funeral and was buried in Skidmore. Um, little Victoria Joe is well. Her and Zeb moved out of Skidmore. He's like, I'm done. I'm out nope. of here. Getting out of this town. Nope, nope, nope. And Lisa Montgomery is still alive today. I tried to look up if they have, like, any date or information Mm -hmm. for this but i couldn't find anything so yeah within just five years not including ken also just in five years had three like brutal murders branson's still technically missing but likely Mm -hmm. murdered um yeah and ever since all these there's been kind of a little active like no activity really in skidmore Mm -hmm. um And like I said, you know, older people are passing away. The younger people are, like, moving away. And this town is just slowly but surely just dying. Like, it's just collapsing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, so many negative things have happened here. Like, how much can this town take? Can they get past their history? And they talk about this a lot in the documentary. It's, like, this cycle of violence. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, Ken was a problem, but he couldn't have been the only problem if after his death, like, more things keep happening. And they were saying how... It's like, it's like the sin of your fathers or whatever, you know, like this Mm -hmm. new generation is still being in this like cycle of like what happened to Ken. And it's like, how are you ever going to like purge the town of all this? Um, Yeah. So, and they said pretty soon, um, anyone who was there for Ken's murder will have passed away. And most people have, they do believe that because people in town say they know who did it, that those men have all passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. and they were like, oh, like once they die, we'll say who did it, but they're still protecting them basically. Um, and a lot of people do believe like if everyone came forward and clean and we just got everything that happened out in the air, 
things would be better and like the town could heal, but people just aren't. They're keeping their secrets. They're probably never going to tell. Mm-hmm. So they do have the nine suspicious deaths since Ken's death. And these three just have the most details. I couldn't really find information on the others. Um, Mm -hmm. And the current population of Skidmore is 280 people. So very, very small town. Very tiny. Yes. A lot of tragic stuff happening in there. If I was a kid raised in Skidmore, I would probably leave immediately as well. (laughs) Like, Yeah, be like, I'm out of here. But during the research of all of this, I did text Courtney and I'm like, so when are we going to Skidmore? Because we got to go. Obviously it's got to be on our list now. Because it's so small. They would show like a, like an aerial view and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's like four blocks. (laughs) Right. So tiny. We'll we'll drive through on our way to, I don't know, some other random place we'll go visit in Missouri. (laughs) Yes, definitely. But yeah, so that is all the tragic things and Skidmore. Yeah. So, whew. Goodness. We hope you guys like this long bonus episode. So. Yeah, end up being a little bit longer than I thought. I yeah. also had trouble talking. <laughs> Pseudo-sciosis. Well, nope. Sciosis. Pseudo-sciosis. Pseudo-sciosis. Yes. There we go, guys. You got it. Lord help me. All right, so (laughs) since this is a bonus and you guys are already on Patreon, you know where to find us and all that good stuff, so we're just going to leave you with... Have a cup of coffee. And don't commit a crime.